Let's stand, if you would, please, and take your Bibles and join me this morning in turning to Isaiah chapter 17. Isaiah chapter 17 this morning. And again, we're so delighted that you join us this morning for the morning service of Heritage Baptist Church. And we're just coming off a wonderful week of salvation decisions and great new context that the Lord has given us. And uh, we're praying that you've had a blessed week. And uh, if we can be of any help to you, please let us know. Isaiah chapter 17, we're in a study through the book of Isaiah. And I'm thankful for it, and I think this morning you will find it very helpful. Please take a moment to access under the description section of your page the sermon notes. You can pull that down. You'll need sermon notes this morning to kind of guide you through this Bible study today, and uh, and hope that you'll do so. And then if you know someone, perhaps, that's not on live stream right now, please send a message out to them and let them know, hey, we'd like you to join right now. still not too late to join, and it will be a blessing. Isaiah chapter 17, I'd like you to read these verses with me at home out loud. And I'm going to read it here slowly, but I want you to read it along with me with your family. But read it out loud in your home, and that will be a blessing as we read out loud. The Bible encourages us to read the Word of God, and we're going to read it out loudly this morning. Isaiah chapter 17, verse 1. The burden of Damascus. Behold, Damascus is taken away from being a city, and it shall be a ruinous heap. The cities of Aurora are forsaken. They shall be for flocks which shall lie down, and none shall make them afraid. The fortress also shall cease from Ephraim, and the kingdom from Damascus, and the remnant of Syria. They shall be as the glory of the children of Israel, saith the Lord of hosts. And in that day it shall come to pass that the glory of Jacob shall be made thin, and the fatness of his flesh shall, be wa- shall wax lean. And it shall be as when the harvest man gathereth the corn and reapeth the ears with his arms. And it shall be as he that gathereth ears in the valley of Rephium. Yet gleaning grapes shall be left in it as the shaking of an olive tree. Two or three berries in the top of the uppermost bow. Four or five in the Uh, are uh, the outmost fruitful branches thereof, saith the Lord God of Israel. At that day shall a man look to his maker, and his eyes shall have respect to the Holy One of Israel, and he shall not look to the altars, the work of his hands, neither shall respect that which his fingers have made, either the groves or the images. And as we read through this chapter we see what seems to be a very somber message. But in this message, in verse 7, which is our key text, Isaiah made an incredible proclamation. At that day, shall a man look to his maker, and and his eyes shall have respect to the Holy One of Israel. At that day shall a man look to his maker, and his eyes shall have respect to the Holy One of Israel. This morning I want to preach you a message entitled, It's Time to Look to Jesus. It's time to look to Jesus. Father, this morning, As I was in my devotions, I was thinking about Stephen in Acts chapter 7. As the Jews gnashed on him with their teeth and picked up stones ready to stone him, the Bible says that Stephen looked steadfastly up to heaven and he saw the Lord Jesus Christ standing and the glory of God. And I thought about those words, looking to heaven. Father, our eyes are looking to the government for solutions. To 80 to 100 drug companies and pharmaceutical companies working on a possible vaccine. We're just reading last night, they say the attrition rate for those working on it could be as high as 99%. We're looking for vaccines. We're looking for the reopening of our cities. A loosening up of shelter in place and safe distancing and such like. We're looking that perhaps the numbers 
of those who are confirmed infected with COVID-19, that those numbers will peak and start to decline. We're looking, Lord, for the economy to have a turnaround. Some are right now looking for their stimulus check. But Father, the most important thing we need to do today, we need to look to Jesus. We need to look to you and give you our eyes for worship. As the Bible says in Psalms 131, as the eyes of a handmaiden looketh to her mistress, even so the eyes of a servant looketh to his master. Father, we need to get our eyes off a lot of other things that are distractions and are blindsiding us and are affecting our decision making and affecting our attitude and our heart. And we need to get our eyes on you. And Paul, Paul told us in Hebrews that we're to put aside the weights and the sins which easily beset us, looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher, the captain, the Lord, the God, the King, the author and finisher of our faith. And this morning we pray that, God, you'll help this message to encourage us, to remind us, to spark us, move us. I pray you sanctify every living room, every family room, every computer, phone, and other devices, iPads, and whatever other devices people are using, if they're perhaps streaming it on a large screen. And God, move our minds and hearts from an entertainment mindset that this is preaching time. This is God's time. And God, I pray our minds are not about what we're going to have for lunch, but what does the Lord have for me right now? Oh God, I pray this morning for an attitude and spirit of worship. I pray, dear God, that we'd have worship this morning like we've never had it before. I pray, oh God, that you'd come down. And I pray, God, for fire to come down, even as Elijah prayed. And I pray that, God, you give revival in every living room. I pray you give revival to every father and every mother and every child. I pray, Father God, this morning that the Holy Spirit of God would be pleased to work in our hearts and we not be like those old stubborn Jews who gnashed with their teeth and resisted the Holy Spirit of God. Father, we pray this morning that God Almighty would be glorified and pleased because, Lord, you're immortal, invisible, the only wise God to whom be glory and honor forever and forever and forever. Father, I pray for enablement today that's from on high. And just as John was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, I pray to be in the Spirit right now in the Lord's Day. Thank you for this service, this time we can join together to be edified. For it's in Jesus' name we pray with thanksgiving. And all of God's people can say, Amen. Isaiah, the book of Isaiah is a wonderful practical book, a prophetical book. And as a, as a book of prophecy, Isaiah had the privilege of prophesying about our Lord Jesus Christ, about his birth about his death, about his resurrection, and even about his coming. And we see this book of prophecy speaking to us about the past, and we see application for the present, and we see some things happening in the future. And I hope you'll stay tuned to this. And what a wonderful, let me just say, what a wonderful opportunity to reach people you know, to get them to zone in, because we're going to talk about what's going to come down in the days to come. People want to know. They want to know when's this all going to end and when's, what's going to happen here. And we want to know what the Bible says. So it's a book of prophecy. I want to remind you this morning that as you read through Isaiah, Isaiah is a book of filled with promises. Promises for everyday living. And shortly you'll, you'll see this, and I'll probably talk about it a little bit tonight, but one of the newer things we're, gonna, we're coming up with is a podcast that we're going to be making available several times a week with messages that will be edifying and encouraging, maybe about 10-minute messages at most. But these messages are about this podcast will be entitled Manna Moments. The Bible says that the Israel went out to gather the manna in the wilderness six times during the, six days out of the week. We're going to have manna moments that you can access in addition to the God morning devotions. We're going to have some opportunities for you to get online there and get, pull down some tools that will help you there. It's a book of promises. We want to give you the promises of God. Thank God. I think of one in Isaiah chapter 40 verse 31. Well, right now, we're at home. I spoke and called on some of our members who are at home right now on the way into getting ready for life. During the way in, I called them to check and see how they're doing. And they said, Pastor, we haven't gone out. And one said, we're just sticking around here doing gardening. The other one said, we haven't gone out except to get our medications. The other one just said, we're staying very safe. And I reminded you that, that, you know, sometimes waiting can be very boring. And waiting can be very uh, difficult. And waiting can try our patience. But the Bible says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. 
They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. I want to tell you right now, brother and sister in Christ, it's a good thing to wait on the Lord. It's a good thing that God can use this as an opportunity to grow our faith and to help us to wait on him. Isaiah is a book that's filled with prophecy. Isaiah is a book filled with promises. Isaiah is a book that gives us practical application. We're going to see that this morning. Isaiah 17 is one of several chapters, beginning with chapter 14. Chapter 21, consecutive chapters that are labeled God's prophecies concerning the nations. You want to know, as you read your Bible, does God have a word for the nations? And he does. Read your Bible. God goes beyond telling us about Israel, even though it revolves around Israel. We read about what's going to happen to Iraq and Iran, Turkey, Russia, Germany, Ethiopia, Egypt. And somewhere in between that, we're going to see the Eastern nations. Somewhere in between that, we're going to, the question is going to be asked, what about America? We see the prophecy concerning the nations. And this morning, the Prophecy we're going to look at is on the nation of Syria and its capital city, Damascus. And I'm going to tell you this morning, as you read through the Bible, it's not boring. If you believe that, if you believe that the Bible is exciting, send an amen right now. It's an exciting book. It's a relevant book. It's a voracious book. It means it's truthful. It's an absolute book. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away, the Bible says. And so this morning, I want you to join me this, today in seeing God's word concerning Syria and Damascus. First of all, I want you to go back with me. I want to kind of give you an overview. I want to talk about the historical remembrance of Syria. Who is Syria? If you look on a map this evening or this morning, you'll see where Israel is located. Syria is just right to the, the top of it. Syria borders Israel. Syria is one of the oldest nations in the world. Damascus is one of the oldest cities in the world. In fact, as we read our Bible, we're going to find that Damascus is mentioned 55 times in the Bible. Syria is mentioned 129 times in the Bible. In fact, Syria is mentioned to us as early, and Damascus is mentioned to us as early as in Genesis 14 and 15, believe it or not. Abraham traces his roots from Ur of the Chaldees, which is really Syria. He came out of there into what we know now as the land of Canaan. And we read about in Genesis 15 that Abraham had a servant by the name of Eliezer of Damascus. Jacob's father-in-law his wife, Rebecca's father. Rebecca's father, Laban, was called Laban the Syrian. And as we go through the Bible, I want you to see there are two significant mentions about Syria. Two significant mentions. The first we see is that we see Syria and its godless persecution. Wherever we read, as we get past Laban and Jacob, Syria is an adversary that's hostile, very hostile to Israel. In 2 Samuel 10, we read of one of the battles that David's mighty men, Joab and his brother Abishai, had with Syria. And they realized they were up against a formidable foe. And they made this pact with each other. They said, now, if you see I'm in trouble, you come help me. And if I see you're in trouble, I'll come have you. By the way, that's a good attitude to have in church right now. We're to, be, we're to have camaraderie and be supportive and not tearing down destructive. Thank God we're not. But I'm just kind of parking that thought with you today. We read later on that after King David, the Syrians are one of the major adversaries against Israel. In one instance, when Ahab, the evil king, was king of Israel, 
and Elijah was the prophet. The Syrians mounted up a large army to fight against Israel. And uh, Ahab was the chicken. And he didn't know what to do. And God performed and worked even without Elijah saying anything. And they tried to attack Israel on the mountains because Jerusalem, if you would, was on a mountain. And uh, if you would, in Israel, of course, the, t- the tribe, they tried to attack them. And here's what happened. The, the, they were defeated. And so the Syrians said, well, let's bring the battle down to the valley area. Because we can beat them in the valley. And this is what they said. The Syrians blasphemed God and blasphemed Israel by saying, their God is the God of the mountains. He's not a God of the valleys. They said, their God is a God of the mountains. He can only help them in the mountains. He's not a God of the valleys. And I'm here to tell you this morning, our God is not just a God of the mountains. Praise God, he's also the God of your valleys too. Another time when Elisha, the successor to Elijah, was prophet. A large number of the Syrians encircled Jerusalem. Elisha's servant got up early one morning. And he looked outside, and he saw this mass of troops. And he ran inside, this is just as the sun was starting to rise. And he went up to Elisha, and he said, we're in trouble. Look outside. That didn't phase Elisha. The man of God wasn't phased. Hey, you might be phased right now with shortage of money, money problems, and all that kind of stuff. But I want to tell you, God is not phased by those things. And I want to tell you right now, well, everybody's worried about money. I'm more worried about your spiritual life. I'm more worried about your worship of God. And you should be also. And your commitment to God. Not nitpicking all these ridiculous things that we wind up doing when we have too much time on our hands. And Elisha made a statement that is one of my favorite statements. Instead of Arguing with the foolish statements of this this servant, he prayed and he said this, Lord, open the eyes of this servant that he may see. And when he opened his eyes, he no longer saw the troops. He saw the angels of God encamping round about him. God defeated those Syrians. God blinded them. And they sent some people out. And they led them back inside the city of Israel, it's the cities of Israel, and fed them. They took good care of them. They heaped what the Bible says, they heaped coals of fire on their head, if you would. They were just humbled and defeated at the hands of Israel. Syria boasted three notable kings. One's name was Ben-Hadad. Another one was Haziel, who was the successor to Ben-Hadad. And the other one is the one that we find mentioned here, Prominently in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 7, his name was Rezin. In Isaiah 7, if you remember one of our past messages, Rezin made an alliance. He was confederate with Pekah, the king of Israel. Because Israel had sent some money up to Rezin and hired them as mercenaries and said, would you come alongside of us? Because we want to overcome Judah. Judah's our enemy. Judah's our enemy. Now, that's a sad thing because Israel and Judah were brothers, but they, but they said he saw Judah as an enemy. And he said, would you join me in fighting against Judah? And God said, that's not going to happen. And God said, you're going to both be defeated. And you may be, you, both of you may be like two foxes with burning tails, but you're both going to be defeated. And as we look at that today, We come now to Isaiah chapter 17, and we find this prophecy against Damascus and Rezin is because Syria did join up with Israel, and they did bother Judah later on, and they did some things, and God said, okay, I've had enough. And so God pronounced in Isaiah chapter 17, I'll spend a little more time on it in a moment, giving his pronouncement of judgment against Damascus and Syria. What I'm saying to you today is, number one, we see the godless persecution that Syria was a hostile nation. By the way, you fast forward to right now, and Syria still bothers Israel. Syria is still a confederate, with, if you would, with the, the Arab nations that are hostile to Israel and Hephzibah and all those other groups there that are against him, Hezbollah and those groups that are against him there. And so we see godless persecution. But I want you to notice something else that's a blessing, a silver lining in all this. As we look at the the history 
of, of, of Syria. I not only see godless persecution, would you mark this down? I see gospel preaching. Amen. I see gospel preaching because nestled in the midst of this godless nation, I see the record of some incredible salvation decisions. In the Old Testament, we see the salvation decision of a captain of Syria whose name was Naaman. And the Bible starts off in 2 Kings chapter 5 that Naaman was a great man, but he was a leper. His health was declining. His health was deteriorating. The putridness of leprosy was encompassing him, and perhaps even was, he was probably ousted from even staying in the same living chambers with his wife because of his contagiousness. Naaman had led one of his campaigns against Israel. They took a lot of these young people captive. And one of the ones he took captive was a little maiden. And of all things, this little maiden just happened to be the servant to Naaman's wife. Let me say to you today, what you may think just happened to be is the divine hand of God working in your life, putting you in a place where you can be used greatly for his glory. And she saw this man's deteriorating condition, and she said this to her mistress. She said to Naaman, would to God that my master could go to the prophet, which is in Israel, which was Elisha. And it speed up the story. When they heard that, they were desperate for a cure. And so the king commissioned Naaman. The king of Syria heard about this. That was Ben-Adad. And so he commissioned uh, Naaman to go to Elisha. And they sent them with goods and things of that nature. And, and Naaman was a wealthy man himself. And he had, he had a lot. He, had, he brought two changes of clothing, which was substantial. It was, a, it was like a wardrobe, two, two closets full of wardrobes he brought for the man of God. And, and he brought a couple talents of silver. I mean, he brought a whole bunch. I mean, it, listen, if Elisha had accepted those gifts, he would have become independently wealthy from that moment on. Elisha didn't even come out to see the man. He said, here's what you tell the man. Tell Naaman, go to the River Jordan, which was a murky river because of a lot of silt that was stirred up from the bottom. It was, it was always known as a murky river, especially at the time when the, when the banks were overflowing. He says, go to the Jordan River and dip yourself seven times into that, in that river, and your, your flesh will be clean as a child. And Naaman, the Bible says, was wroth. He was filled with anger because that's not what he wanted to hear. He wanted, he wanted Elisha to come out and do something magical. He wanted him to come out and do something supernatural. He wanted to just put his hand over him, tell him something. He says, in what you're telling me, you want me to do something that is beneath my dignity? You want me to do something? You want me to go to that Jordan River and dip myself seven times there? He said, listen, the rivers of Syria, are Arbana and Farpar, are better than the Jordan River. You want me to do there? And it, thank God he had a wise servant that said to him, you know, if, if the prophet wanted you to do that, he would have told you, why don't you just go to the Jordan River? Why don't you just listen? Hey, what a great, what great spiritual advice if we would just humble our hearts and listen. And he dipped himself seven times in that river and his flesh was made clean. Listen, that's a picture, wonderful picture of salvation. He had faith in the word of Elisha. He went to that which he thought could do, do nothing for him, and he, and he was cleansed, and his flesh was made clean. It's a picture of conversion. And he changed from his worship of his idol God, and he had a spirit of giving. I mean, you see, you see a man who was repentant and truly converted in his heart there. But I see in the New Testament a picture of a, a gospel preaching as well. We get over to Acts chapter 9. We read about a Jew that was hateful. He hated the Christians and the Christian movement. And he obtained letters from the high priests in Jerusalem to go to the synagogues of Damascus, Syria, and to find Jews there that had converted to Christianity and to take them as prisoners and to imprison them or even to kill them. And listen, he went there with an entourage, an army of men, and on the way, the Bible says, on the road to Damascus, Saul of Tarsus, who we now know as the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, who is now the Apostle Paul, he is knocked off his horse, he looks up and he realizes he has an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, he sees a light from heaven and the Lord speaking to him, and listen, Saul of Tarsus was converted at the road to Damascus. Let me tell you, as I look at the historical remembrance of Syria, I'm reminded today that God 
God is concerned. That nation is wicked. That nation was wrong. That nation had its idols. That nation was hostile to Israel. But God still loved that nation. And God still saved people. Naaman got saved. Saul of Tarsus got saved on the road to Damascus. And I'm telling you, I see the gospel preaching in that. Let me remind you today, while we're praying for a cure for COVID-19, why don't we pray for the nations of the world that they get saved? Why don't you pray with me that Somalia would get saved? And why don't you pray with me that Syria would get saved? And why don't you pray with me that Nigeria would get saved? And why don't you pray with me that China would get saved? And why don't you pray with me today that Sri Lanka would get saved? I see God working in the midst of these nations in in spite of all the bad things that were going on. We see the historical remembrance, but notice if you go back to Isaiah 17 very quickly, would you notice the heavy ruin? Syria and Israel, they're mentioned together. Became an alliance to fight with Judah. This is God's judgment on both nations. Warren Wiersbe said this, listen to me tonight because this morning, because if you don't have the right friendships, you better listen to it very carefully. I, he's right on what he says here. It's right out of this chapter. If the people you trust do not trust the Lord, their judgment may become your judgment. Notice we start off in verse 1, and this is very frightening. He says, the burden of Damascus, the heaviness. Behold, Damascus is taken away from being a city. In other words, the first thing he says about the judgment of God on Damascus is they would no longer be a city. They've had many times where they've been a prosperous city, then torn down. A prosperous city, torn down. He said, listen, this, they will no longer be a city. They shall be a ruinous heap. A ruinous heap is basically like a pile of garbage, a pile of rubbish. He goes down in verse 3 and he describes them and says, he says, the fortress also shall cease from Ephraim. The term Ephraim refers to the ten tribes of northern Israel. And the kingdom from Damascus. And he's saying here that, listen, Damascus, well, they'll lose their fortification just like Israel. And they will no longer be a kingdom. And what he's prophesying here is the day when the Assyrians, which, were, which was ancient Iraq, ancient Iran. They were the world power that was coming up. And they would come down and Damascus would no longer be a kingdom in a city. In verse 4, notice this description. He says, And in that day shall come to pass that the glory of Jacob shall be made thin, and the fatness of his flesh shall be waxed lean. Listen, what a description. It was basically saying for both Israel and Syria that they shall be thinned out by the Lord. He says that they shall be, the glory shall be made thin, and the fatness of his flesh waxed lean. I don't know about you, but that's a very, very serious Judgment. God is saying the glory of, of Jacob and the glory of Syria. You know what he's saying there? Your pride, your pride will be made thin and will wax lean. God's going to take away your wealth and God's going to take away your glory and God's going to take away your kingdom. Listen, we're looking at nations right now that have been shut down, the economy shut down for 30 days. Let me tell you, there's a whole bunch of corporations, a whole bunch of companies, and some of them are the companies you work for right now. They are thin and waxing lean. God is thinning things out. Unemployment is up. Retail sales are down. Most industries across the board are way down. Running thin, waxing lean. What a description. We go to verse 9, and he says this in verse 9, For in that day shall his strong cities be as a forsaken bow and an uppermost branch. You know what he's saying there? It's like someone cutting off a branch and casting it down, and it's going to dry and wither way, and whereas one time it was connected to the tree and drew its life from the tree and no longer has a connection, it'll be a worthless, useless, dried up branch. And you read about some of the hot zones around our country right now. 
They said in New York when it started getting bad, the people, they're very, 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 very wealthy. A lot of them saw what was the handwriting on the wall, and a lot of them got out of, they got out of the areas that were, were, were not as intense as far as the disease. They wanted to get out of there. Hey, listen, they were forsaking their city. Hey, there are some cities right now that are just like this description. They are forsaken bow. Then notice verse 11. He said, in that day shalt thou make thy plant to grow, and in the morning thou shalt make thy seed to flourish. But the harvest shall be a heap in the day of grief and desperate sorrow. He said, you know what? People are going to try to get things going back again. They're going to try to revive their economy. They're going to they're going to they're going to replow their land. They're going to stir up their land and their dirt. They're going to break up the fallow ground and start all over again. He says, listen. They're going to plant their seed. That's what he's saying here. They're going to plant their seeds. And in the morning, they're going to try to get their seeds to flourish. But he says in the end, when it's harvest time comes, there'll be nothing but a heap. Blessings of God are withheld. And then would you notice verse 14? This is a very grim forecast. A heavy ruin. And he tops all that off by saying, And behold, that even tide trouble. Eventide describes the darkness of the moment. The night cometh. At evening time, trouble. And then he said, and before the morning, he's not. He said, before the morning comes, his life is taken. I want to tell you this morning, the COVID-19 pandemic, don't hide your head in the sand and get your head out of the clouds and wake up. At evening tide, there's trouble. And for many who've been afflicted with this disease, which is an upper respiratory problem, he says, in the morning, he's not. I got one message to eat. Pastor, pray for this relative. They're in another state. They've gone from intubation to tracheotomy. And they're weak. Pray for this other relative in the same state, the same area. They're intubated as well. Our healthcare workers, Pastor, let me tell you what's going on in our ICU ward, our surgical ward. Pastor, uh, pray for us. We've got a loved one over here in a, in a nursing facility, and with all the operates going on there, we just found out that one person was confirmed, and pray for us that that relative does not get afflicted with this thing. Reese's yesterday, preacher. A very close relative. A very close relative. Confirmed positive. And don't text me and ask me who was and all that. It's none of your business. In the evening tide, trouble. And before the morning, he is not. Hey, brother and sister in Christ, we need to understand there is a heavy ruin because the hand of God is heavily working in this world. This is not a joke. This is not an accident. They may say it's an accident. I'm telling you right now, Satan is the prince of the power of the air. And I'm telling you, God gave him a little bit of liberty right now. And he's working havoc across this world right now. And we see even the government seizing upon this. The governments are trying to enforce their power and exercise their muscles in different levels. And basically we're saying they're doing things where they're basically mandating things. And we see things working and moving towards a one world government. We see this heavy ruin, but notice we need to ask ourselves a question. Why is all this happening? Why did God do this? Why, 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 wait, wait a minute. I, and I want to tell you the honest reason. Look at verse 10. 
because thou hast forgotten the God of thy salvation and hast not been mindful of the rock of thy strength. The Bible says in Psalms 9, verse 10, the wicked, or chapter 9, verse 70, the wicked shall be turned into hell and the nations that forget God. But I remind you this morning that nations are composed of individuals. And we are those individuals. Because thou hast forgotten the God of thy salvation. Syria can trace its roots back all the way to the days when God called Abraham out to find a country whose builder and maker is God. They didn't look to Abraham for salvation as he made his profession of faith in the Lord. In Genesis 15, Abraham believed God and was imputed unto him unto righteousness. Thou hast forgotten the God of thy salvation and the rock of thy strength. You see, when you got saved, God took your feet out of the miry clay. He took you out of sinking sand. He took you out of a place where you had no positioning. And he put, put your feet on a solid rock. And that rock is Jesus Christ. For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid on Christ Jesus. Listen, when your feet got set on Jesus Christ, he became the chief cornerstone of the building that God is building in your life. And he put a new song in your heart, in my heart, even praising to our God. But the sadness of the situation, the honest reason why there was judgment upon this nation was because they had forgotten God. And I want to tell you right now, it could be very well because churches are, are not being able to meet because of social distancing. Who would have ever imagined? Nobody could have ever scripted the situation we're in right now. Nobody could have ever scripted or foreseen a situation like this where, where churches could not meet. And in even doing so would be a very dangerous proposition for churches to meet. Who would have ever imagined that we'd be worshiping for six or seven consecutive weeks by live stream and just getting used to that kind a venue there. I'm saying right now, as we consider that, and maybe because as churches, as Christians, we have forgotten how good God is. And we have forgotten the blessing of the church. And we have forgotten what the church is all about. The church is about God, not about a committee, not about a financial chairman, not about a pastor, not about you, not about me. It's about God himself. You have forgotten the God of thy salvation and the rock upon which you've been set upon. You forgot God saved you. You've forgotten God has forgiven you. You've forgotten that Jesus Christ shed his precious blood on the cross for you. You've forgotten that you have a calling of God to live for the Lord. You've forgotten that the church is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. And I'm telling you, Randy, you better listen to me today because one day you're going to look back in eternity. You're going to look back, back and back to one day in eternity. And you're going to remember this message was preached. And you're going to remember that God warned you that because we have forgotten. And some of you are going to turn off live stream right now. Or some of you might turn off live stream 30 minutes ago. And you'll forget everything that was said because you've forgotten the God of thy salvation. I don't hear anybody crying out for revival. I don't hear anybody crying out that, Lord God, do something. Let me tell you, the remedy and cure for COVID-19 is 2 Chronicles 7, verses 13 to 14. Repentance and confession of our sins towards God. That's the remedy. You want God involved? That's the cure remedy all the time. You want God involved? That's the remedy right there. forgetfulness of our God, of our salvation, is because of a disregard of who God is. The Bible says in Psalms 103, verse 2, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Listen, disregard is an unthankful spirit. The Bible says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. We disregard that God is the one who gives us power to acquire wealth. We disregard that God is the source of all blessings. We disregard that God is the one who preserves and keeps us. We, we, we disregard the fact that God gives us our daily bread and God provides all our needs. And we disregard the fact that God does answer prayer, but he answers prayer according to his terms. And we disregard the fact that God wants us to be thankful all the time. I wonder this morning, how many times this week did you take to thank God for who he is? We forget because of a disregard. We forget because of a disrespect. 
He says, thou hast not, notice this, been mindful of the rock of thy strength. Do you have time to worship God in his presence? How distracted and preoccupied are you on the Lord's day to worship him? Hey, true test your faith if you'll be back on tonight to watch live stream this evening. Disrespect is exhibited in our actions towards others. Disrespect is when we, towards God, is we just go and live our life like the rest of society. Hey, you be careful right now. You keep listening to all the people that have problems and are complaining and they're short of money and they're mad because they didn't get their stimulus check or whatever it may be. And listen, as a Christian, I don't care who you are, you listen to that junk long enough and you're going to become just like what you hear. You go read Genesis 19, see what happened to Lot and read 2 Peter chapter 2. The Bible says he vexed his righteous soul with the unrighteous deeds of the wicked. You become just like what you're around. Don't tell me how strong you are. You become just like you are what you're around. Disrespect is a lack of the worship of God. We're not mindful of the rock of our strength. Listen, true worship of God, there's no time limitation. True worship of God, there's a tear in our eye and a tug in our heart. The true worship of God, we can't wait to come with a sacrifice to God and give of our best and give of our all. We run and give of our best to God. It's like what they did in the old days. They went and got the fatted calf because a special guest came in and they killed the fatted calf for the special guest. Listen, today, we need to have our giving just like killing a fatted calf. We give our best and we give our all to the Lord. True worship of God comes with an uninhibited desire to get all of God that you can. We think we're doing God a favor by squeezing him into our schedule. No, 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 no. You need to get on God's schedule. Amen? It's a disregard, disrespect. But listen, we forget about God because of disobedience. Deuteronomy 8.11 says, Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God, and not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day. Jeremiah 2.32, can a maid forget her ornaments or bride her attire? Yet my people, listen, my people have forgotten me days without number. Disobedience is sin. Disobedience with what Jesus came to die for. God pronounces judgment against Syria and Damascus. We see their historical remembrance. We see the heavy ruin. At evening tide, trouble. The morning tide, he's not. We see the honest reason. Because thou hast forgotten the God of thy salvation, and thou hast not been mindful of the rock of thy strength. But I have some good news for you this morning. I want to encourage you, when you leave today, you be mindful of the healing remedy. There's a healing remedy of our God. There's a remedy found right here in Isaiah 17 in terms of how do we get out of this mess and how do we avert the judgment of God and turn back ways there. Would you notice with me this healing remedy? Our world is falling apart. Our finances are looking like a heap. Our resources, relationships, and future are looking thin and waxing lean. What do you do? Well, notice verse 7. In verse 7 he says, at that day, maybe today needs to be that day. At that day shall a man look to his maker and his eyes shall have respect to the Holy One of Israel. I want to tell you today as I look at that, what a word of promise, what a word of encouragement, what a word of exhortation. At that day, it's going to, there's a future day he was telling them, but that future day could actually be today. At that day shall a man look to his maker and his eyes shall have respect to the Holy One of Israel. Here's what he's saying summation, it's time to look to Jesus. Jesus. 
It's time to look to Jesus. It's time to look to Jesus. It's time to look to Jesus. It's time to look to Jesus and not for your stimulus check. It's time to look to Jesus and not for a government loan. It's time to look to Jesus and not for someone to give you more medication. It's time to look to Jesus for your answer. Listen, the remedy is not a vaccine alone. It's time to look to Jesus. The remedy is not the economy getting back on his face, back on his feet. It's time to look to Jesus. I'm saying to you today, look, listen, it's time for us to look to Jesus Christ right now. At that day, shall a man look to his maker. Number one, we need to look to Jesus, who is our creator. He's our maker. Who made all things, and by him all things consist. Then in all things, he might have the preeminence. I'm so sick and tired of people that like to boast and talk about they did this and they did that and they did this, they did that. What a wonderful thing is when people say, God did this. God did that. This is of the Lord's doing. Is it not good? When God made the world, interspersed by each day of creation, The Bible says that God looked, and it was good. When we acknowledge and look to him as our creator, we're acknowledging to him he has all authority. We're acknowledging to him that we are in submission to him. We're acknowledging to him that he's the Lord of the universe and the Lord of earth. We're acknowledging to him that all things consist by him. We're acknowledging to him that he's the great and mighty God. We're acknowledging that our breath and life come from him. We're acknowledging to him that our times are in his hand. Hey, we need to look to Jesus who is our creator. Notice, secondly, we need to look to Jesus for our crises. The Bible says, cast your burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give thee rest. Get your eyes off the storm. Get your eyes on the one who controls the storm. The one who can start, the one who can stop the storms. The doctors are talking about all this anxiety and worry and increased depression. And interestingly enough, And sadly enough, domestic violence is up as much as 25%, at least in the city of San Francisco. People are anxious at the grocery stores. They're wondering how much longer I want to get back with my life. I got news for you. This is your life right now. Get used to it. Wake up. Let's look to Jesus in our crisis. You don't need a shrink. You need the Savior. You don't need more psychiatry and psychology. You need more of the scriptures. You don't need a stimulus check. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. You don't need something that will take your breath away. You need the breath of heaven on your life. You need God. It's time to look to Jesus for our crises. It's time to look to Jesus and his cross. Look to the cross for your difficulties. See him who is crucified on the cross for you and me. The nails riven in his hands and in his feet and his side pierced with the spear. And look at him who is the son of man, the son of God who became the Son of Man to die for your sins and mine, who took your place and mine on the cross. Look to Jesus and the cross, because on the cross, he paid the sin debt in full for all your sin. Look to Jesus on the cross, because today you can be saved. All of your troubles, 
all of your crises, all of your anxieties, it can be summed up in one thing. Until you get saved, until you come to Christ through repentance of your sins and faith towards God, until you do such things, listen, all the things going on in your life are just going to be going a cycle. You need to come to Jesus and confess with your mouth that he is Lord and that he died for your sins so that you can be forgiven and go to heaven. Isaiah said, at evening tide trouble, in the morning he is not. And I want to sum up for you there where he says in Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed to men once to die, and after this is the judgment. I'm going to tell you, you only get one time through, and you don't know, and I don't know, you're safe and as protective as you try to be and cautious you can be. You don't know who's going to come across your path. You don't know who accidentally may be carrying the virus. You don't know when they say the things can be loosened up, and you may get on a plane again. You don't know, and I don't know, but I'm going to tell you this. In the evening, try trouble, and in the morning, he's not. We only get one time around in this life. It's appointed to men once to die. After this is the judgment. Look to the cross because Jesus paid your sin debt in full. Look to the cross. Jesus shed his blood for your sins and mine. Look to the cross because Christ died. But I got good news for you. He's not dead on that in a tomb somewhere. He rose again that third day. He rolled the stone and when he came out of those grave clothes and he's alive. And he's new. Listen, he rose again from the dead because it was not possible that he should be holding by the dead. He's a risen Savior. He's alive. Hey, thank God today he's risen from the dead. As I said last week on our Easter service, you can go to the Taj Mahal and you find the corpse there, the, uh, the corpse of that was built for a woman, that was built for a woman, for the wife of one of the Shahs that was dead. And you can, you can go over there to Westminster Abbey where they've got all these distinguished tombs and, and so forth. There are people that died in the pyramids of Egypt, but you go to the tomb of Jesus Christ and it's empty because Christ rose again from the dead. Look to Jesus. It's time to look to Jesus. We need to look to Jesus for our crises. We need to look to Jesus and his cross. We need to look to Jesus who's our creator, but listen, we need to look to Jesus because he's coming. He's coming. He's coming. The prophetic time clock is moving pretty fast right now. The devil's testing his waters through spiritual wickedness in high places. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. He's coming again. The Bible says, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Hey, if he came right now, are you looking for him? Are you looking for him? Are you looking for his appearing? Are you loving his appearing? It's time to look to Jesus. It's time to look to Jesus. It's time to realize that the heavy ruins and the forgetfulness of God should prick our hearts and soften us to realize it's time to look to Jesus. It's time to look to Jesus for the answer. It's time to look to Jesus for your salvation. It's time to look to Jesus for revival. It's time to look to Jesus to restore us. It's time to look to Jesus to bring us back together as a church. It's time to look to Jesus. Maybe you are had your eyes on people and promises that failed. It's time to look to Jesus. I feel like your world is coming apart at the seams. It's time to look to Jesus. Right now, evening time is trouble. It might be in the morning. You're not. Don't put off the remedy your soul needs right now. Join me this morning because it's time to look to Jesus.